Uh, well, friends, it's so good to see you here this morning. If you haven't found a seat, we're going to have a few wrinkles this morning, I think. Uh, it is really good to see you. It's been lovely to be able to greet a few of you. Uh, there's been 19 Sundays now where this building has been largely empty across a Sunday, except for a few of us doing the live streaming service. So it's really nice to, to be back. Uh, to be the first uh, group of people that have the privilege of gathering together in person as God's people here at St Matthew's. And I do want to say uh, a welcome to those of you who are joining us online, including some who are out in the courtyard here. Uh, it's just great to have you here as well. Uh, in a moment, our singers will come forward and they'll be singing for us. Uh, at this stage of health orders, we're not able to sing together yet. Um, but our singers have had such a wonderful ministry of the word to us in song uh, through COVID. And uh, we thank God for them. And we thank God too for musicians who accompany. And today we welcome Judy Hicks, who is a member of uh, Night Church and who stepped in at the very last moment. Uh, she would gladly be playing the organ, uh, but she actually has sprained her ankle. And uh, so she's much safer down, on, uh, uh, down at the piano. So Judy, it's lovely to have you. <laughs> Well, I'm going to ask the, um, the singers to come forward, and we look forward to you guys uh, singing for us. Thank you, Barb and David and Emma Sini. to the Lord. 
Uh, it is in the name of the Lord Almighty that we come together and he is worthy of all praise. A very fitting song for us to begin uh, recommencing services here in person at St Matthew's. Uh, I should say to those of you who are guests, uh, a very special welcome to you, uh, both in person and uh, online. Uh, we're really glad to have you with us at St Matthew's uh, here on the Corso. Uh, my name is Andrew Graham, I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, we're really glad to have you joining us today. Uh, a number of people are chatting on the, uh, the live stream. Uh, so uh, greetings uh, to you, Lydia, and uh, to uh, Virginia and Jeff. And I wrote that name down and I've already... I can't read my own writing. <laughs> uh, but if you are there online, we'd love to know that you're, you're uh, there. So it's great to have you with us. Now, we've got a great service to look forward to this morning as we continue our series in the Book of Acts, uh, the, the Beyond series, in which our Senior Minister Bruce will be speaking from uh, Acts chapter 16 today on the beauty of diversity and the diversity of people that God gathers to himself through the message of Jesus. And I'm really looking forward to a little conversation that Neville Naden, one of our mission partners, and I are going to be having uh, partway through the service. It'll be great to catch up with Neville, who's with us uh, this morning. But before we go any further, it would be really good to come to God in prayer. And we've got two prayers I invite you to join me in praying. Uh, the first one, a prayer of preparation for this gathering as God's people, asking for his help. And the second, a prayer of thanksgiving to God for all of his goodness. So please join me as we firstly pray this prayer of preparation. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us, for life and health and safety, for power to work, leisure to rest, and for all that is beautiful in creation and human life. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour, Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for the gift of your spirit, and for the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing, through Jesus Christ our Lord, Amen. It is a great consolation, isn't it, through all of the difficulties of life, to know that God is there and that God is great and that he cares for us. And so he is worthy of our praise and thanksgiving every day. Uh, just a few things by way of notices uh, for today. There's a few to do with us getting back together again and making sure we... We open up our church as much as possible, but do so at the same time in as safe a way as possible. But firstly, I do just want to say again a welcome to you if you're new or visiting with us, either in person or online, and simply to say that we'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can use the digital connect card, uh, which is on the screen uh, behind me. Uh, or of course, you could speak to someone before you leave, and I'd love to meet you if we haven't met before. Uh, you could speak to one of the welcomers out the back. And I'll also let you know uh, that this week our church office opens up again, so you can actually visit there in person now. Uh, the gates and doors are open to the church office. 
Uh, if there is something that comes up through the week, please feel free to contact us by phone, by email, or in person uh, on the site here. Uh, but welcome if you are new with us. I've got to say, I am so thankful to God for our parish council and wardens and the work that they've done in recent months uh, preparing for today. Uh, during a time in which there are all sorts of uncertainties about how the COVID virus would progress uh, through our society, what vaccinations, what difference they would make and, and what health orders would be in place when we gathered. Uh, they've gone to uh, 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 great measures to, to make sure things are as, 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 um, as safe as possible. I'll just mention a couple of things about the way we conduct ourselves when we're together. One is to say that apart from those who are up the front, we all need to be wearing a mask and wearing it properly, so up over your nose and as closely fitting as possible. Um, to the extent that it's possible after the service, we'd like you to exit quite um, uh, speedily from uh, this uh, uh, gathering place uh, out onto the Corso. It may be that you'd like to go and grab a coffee and come back and enjoy it in the courtyard. Uh, which is outdoors where there's some shade and uh, seating. And if Brenda Jones is here, the, um, uh, the slippery dip is still working. So uh, she was the first person at St Matthew's to use the slippery dip. Uh, so yeah, but by all means, come back uh, with a coffee or something or just head out to the courtyard to enjoy some time with others. But also be careful with safe distancing and that sort of thing. We do want to be... Uh, loving towards one another and to align with the, uh, the health advice that we have, with the regulations. I think that's all I need to say on that front. Yes. Uh, the, the, the second thing by way of uh, notices is to remind you that we're in the middle of raising support for our mission partners. Very fitting thing to do in a series on Beyond. Uh, that we recommit ourselves financially to our mission partners who are taking the message of Jesus beyond the walls of our church, beyond Manly, and some to quite distant parts in the world. Uh, so we're looking to raise $120,000 over the course of this month. Uh, and in order to contribute, you could go to the Give page on the website or in Bruce's, our Senior Minister's weekly email, there are more details about how you could make a contribution uh, so that we make sure our mission partners, whom we love, and pray for are well supported financially in this next year. Now today we have the privilege of having one of our mission partners with us in the building. So Neville, I'm going to ask you to come forward and would you welcome Neville Naden. Neville, it's great to have you here. It's good to be here. It's been a while since we've seen you. Yeah, 12 months ago. I think Scott asked me this morning, he says it was last January you were here last. I said, yeah, I must have done such a good job then. It took him 12 months to invite me back. So. Well, you're very welcome this morning, no matter what the circumstances on the basis of which we've invited you back. It's great to have you here. Hey, look, it's been uh, such a strange time. It was Australia Day last year, yep. and we were hearing of COVID then, but it, it wasn't until March till it really hit us here in Australia. But it's had a massive impact on ministries right across Australia. Mm. What about you and Cathy in Indigenous ministry? One of the difficult things for us is that throughout the last 12-month period, we've had a whole lot of speaking engagements and attending other activities cancelled. And so it was really difficult for me personally. Uh, I was struggling with the isolation, not able to come to Sydney, not able to visit family and so forth. And look, I'm not... I'm not the only one that struggled with some of that stuff, but because I was so used to travelling and uh, being in different parts of the country and couldn't do that, it really 
affected me mentally. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just thankful that it's all opened up again and we can travel, well, at least to the eastern states except for Queensland, but they're a different country altogether, aren't they? <laughs> so, Neville, um, not everybody will know you or know the role that you've got. So what is your role with BCA and what is BCA? Yep. BCA stands for Bush Church Aid Society. BCA was established uh, back in 1911 and the purpose of its establishment was to take the gospel to remote and isolated locations around Australia. And so um, that's what it's been doing ever since. And there's a lot of churches that are struggling um, to exist in remote parts of the country and some of them just can't afford to keep the doors open. And so BCA raised money to be able to help people, help those churches keep them do those doors open. And so uh, BCA's focus is on Australia. They don't support ministries outside of Australia, yep. uh, but that's where their focus is. CMS and other people do, uh, do that. And uh, Greg Harris, the uh, national director, he's a firm believer that we should um, support Jerusalem first, then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the utmost parts of the world. And so that's where uh, the focus is. And yeah. so uh, bishops will generally approach BCA uh, if they've got a struggling church in their, uh, in their jurisdiction and he'll begin a discussion about how he can get his hands on, on some financial support to keep those churches afloat. What, what about your role in particular? My role? Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm the Indigenous Ministry Officer. I've now been serving with BCA for about 15 years. Not always in this role. Um, we were out at Broken Hill where Jack Haradine is. Where these guys also support Jack. Um, and we planted the church out there um, some 15 years ago. And then I moved into this new role about five years ago. Um, and basically it's to help BCA think through Indigenous ministry. And just so they can have a voice around the table when they're talking about how best that, uh, they can engage in the Indigenous space to proclaim the gospel. So that's what we do. Um, and yeah, and, and so we, we uh, engage with a whole range of people. Hmm. So there have been difficulties. You have this wide-ranging ministry uh, with BCA. Um, over the last 18 months or so, have there been any, any things that, are, that are, you're thankful for in the ministry? Look, we're thankful for the faithfulness of our field staff right across the country. Mm. Even in these difficult situations, they have been so faithful in proclaiming uh, the gospel. And obviously it's been hard on them uh, yeah. as well, but we're hearing some good news stories. Um, you know, some of our staff up in the Pilbara and the Kimberley area are writing back to us and, you know, they're, they're talking about how wonderful it is that uh, they're experiencing the blessings of God in terms of the gospel going forward. Um, in the eastern states, now that's opening up again, people are thankful uh, for that. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't always come with a whole lot of uh, encouragement to a lot of our people, mm. but they're remaining faithful. And uh, so we're thankful uh, for them. And so, and, and in terms of the indigenous space, yeah. we not only have indigenous people working in that space, we have a lot of non-indigenous people as yeah. well. And so we're, th we're so thankful for for all those who work um, under the banner of BCA or our BCA field staff that work within the various dioceses around the country. Yeah. I was so thankful, I've got to say, when I was speaking with Jack Harradine uh, mm. recently, 
uh, when there was that COVID outbreak in Wilcannia, just to know that a brother like him uh, has within his pastoral realm uh, the folks in Wilcannia and in Broken Hill and uh, someone who's so gifted and skilled and committed uh, alongside people. That was just uh, really, really great to hear that. You're going to lead us in prayer now, including amongst the prayers you'll be praying for Jack, but can I hand over to you to do that? Yeah, sure. And then you're going to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. No worries. Actually, before you do that, can I, can I lead in prayer for you? You certainly can, thank you. Yeah. Lord God, we're so thankful for our brother Neville, uh, for the long partnership uh, that St Matthews and the Nadens have had uh, and various roles that he and Cathy have had. Uh, we thank you for placing him now uh, uh, in an oversight role uh, where he's got the opportunity to encourage uh, brothers and sisters in Indigenous ministry across the country. We pray that you'll strengthen his arm in that and that now as things are opening up, uh, you'd open doors uh, for speaking uh, person to person uh, and for encouraging person to person. Mm. We thank you for hearing, Cathy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jake Hess, a uh, Southern Gospel singer, once said that prayer is a key to heaven, but faith unlocks the door. And so we're going to be praying, believing that God is going to do a work amongst uh, us as a result of our prayer. So let's pray together. Almighty God, your son Jesus Christ has promised that you will hear us when we ask in faith. Receive the prayers we offer. Lord God, who created all things, Forgive us for the way we have failed to properly care for the beautiful world you've made, whether through greed, neglect or ignorance. As world leaders have gathered this week at COP26 climate change uh, conference, we ask you to, uh, to give, them wisdom, give wisdom to those in authority in every land and to guide all peoples in the ways of righteousness and peace so that we may share with justice and understanding the resources of the earth, work together in trust and seek the common good, both for this generation and for those yet to come. Hear our prayer through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, we bring before you this morning, Jack and Little Haradine, we thank you for their faithfulness in serving you uh, in Broken Hill and and in the far west of the state. We ask, Lord, that you might continue to provide for them, sustain them, especially during these times of COVID. We thank you for what he's been able to do in supporting the community of Wilkenya, where there were so many people that, that were uh, subject to uh, this dredged um, in, uh, virus. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you might sustain him. We pray for him as him and Lil get some uh, rest at this time down in South Australia with their family. We just ask, Lord, that you might uh, help them to relax and Father uh, just renew them in terms of uh, vigour and energy we pray. We want to pray too Father for year 12 students who were, who were doing uh, their HSCs um, this week and Father uh, we pray for those year 12 students in the St Matt's family as many uh, begin their exams Lord, we pray for Ash, we pray for Sam, Joel, Jet, Josh, Megan, Emma, and Emma, Rihanna, Poppy, Sophia, Sophie, uh, Liv, and Jai. Please reassure them of the goodness, of your goodness, and give them clear, calm minds under the pressure of exams. May they keep trusting you and be a blessing to others around them. 
We pray for people who are in distress through sickness, grief, and any other difficulties. We will, we will now take a minute to lift them silently before the Lord. Let us pray in silence for those. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sure and certain hope that is ours through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Deepen our confidence in your goodness and the way you are working out your good purposes in our lives. May we find refreshment and joy by resting in your love and walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friend, let's join together as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much, Neville. I'm going to invite the uh, singers to come forward as we get to hear again uh, praise of our Lord. Thank you. 
The reading this morning is from Acts chapter 16, verses 11 to 34. From Taurus, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and then, and the next day we went to Napoli. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that dis district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money of, for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And that moment the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the socks, stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison floors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, 
He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, <coughs> Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God he and his whole household. This is the end of the reading. How are we going? There we go. Well, let me just say a very warm welcome to you. It is great to be here. Uh, people have asked me how many people would come back to church. I said, I do not know. <laughs> and it's uh, great to see all the friendly faces. And I know we've got people watching online and a very warm welcome to you as well. Um, and I do want to start by just acknowledging, um, and I'm going to be saying this all through the day, it has been a very difficult time. Uh, 19 weeks, uh, not able to meet together personally at church. And I know people have been feeling very cut off and isolated and I know particularly from this congregation numbers of people live alone and it's been very difficult. Uh, celebrations have been missed uh, in terms of all range of things, birthdays, wedding anniversaries, you name it, family gets together. Uh, we've had weddings that have been delayed in the church, we've had funerals that have been impacted. Um, talk to any parent and they will not want to hear the two words homeschooling repeated. Um, they are not pleasant words to hear. People at university and I think particularly those who started last year have had a very difficult and uh, poor experience and those doing their HSC this year, uh, they start on Tuesday, very compromised and difficult situation they've been in and I do want to acknowledge that and just say thank you for the way people have endured through it uh, and I do want to say thank you for being patient. Um, people have been incredibly patient through this time. Thank you for logging in. It's always been so encouraging on a Sunday morning to see so many people actually logging in and saying hello. And I know it's not the same as being together in person, uh, but it is something that's been very significant just to be able to feel a sense of we are still together as a community. And I also want to say thank you for people giving. Um, I got the three-quarter report from Martin, we put it out last week and it was just encouraging to see the way people through a very difficult time have continued to give financially and uh, if you haven't got the report it's in last week's um, for downloading, contact the office if you didn't get it and would like to get a copy but it was encouraging to see uh, the way the finances have held up. I do want to say thank you to uh, my staff and if you see them around do thank them, they've been incredible through this time. Uh, but particularly uh, two staff in, uh, I do want to mention, which is uh, Stuart Jansen and Nathan Campbell. Seriously, without them, we would have been completely up the creek without a paddle. And as someone said to me, I think it was Scott, imagine if Scott and myself had to organise the live stream. Well, that wouldn't have been pretty, let me tell you. And uh, Nathan's up the back. Why don't you give Nathan a clap? He's been amazing. 
but also the parish council and wardens who have put in a lot of extra work behind the scenes, particularly Tim Evans, who you can see some fans he's come and installed uh, so that we've got fresh air from outside the building coming in to try and improve the ventilation in here. So on that note, uh, let me pray as we think about what God's word has to say to us this morning. Father, we do thank you for this beautiful passage, Acts chapter 16, the story of the Church of Philippi. May you warm our hearts with the truth that is there and just encourage us, challenge us through it, we pray, and just help us to continue to be people who are on mission, reaching a diverse group of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start by asking this question, um, what does a healthy church look like? Uh, in our society today, we're far more mobile than in previous generations. People move, uh, not just suburbs, but cities. They move countries. And whenever that happens, you've actually got to change church. Uh, it's one of the realities of life that occasionally you've got to uproot yourself because church communities are very significant for people. And a question to ask yourself is, what does it mean to... What is a healthy church when you're looking for one? And there's a number of things I'd want to say to us. Uh, firstly, the gospel needs to be believed. Uh, that's just a fundamental thing. Uh, that Jesus died for our sins and that he physically rose again from the grave to conquer death, to overcome Satan and to bring eternal life. That is the foundation for a church. But secondly, you'd want to go to a church where the Bible is treasured as the very words of God, that it is the word of God and that it's trusted as the word of God, it's obeyed as the word of God. But thirdly, that there's a genuine sense of relationship where prayer is practiced that people moved by the Holy Spirit actually genuinely know God and they pray to Him and they know Him. But fourthly and importantly, there will be love. And it won't just be a love for your mates, it will be an uncommon love, one that is for all people, um, a generous love, a love that is given regardless of who people are, where they come from, what background culture they may have originated in. And those markers, and there are more you could speak of, but for me, they're foundational. The gospel, the word of God, prayer and love. And that desire to take that to the world. And I think when you see those things together, there is a reality that takes shape that you can see. And it's the reality of diversity. And that mightn't think, be the obvious thing to mention. But when you see this unity in the gospel and in an experience where you know God speaks through his word, where you can know him personally and pray and where people love because they have been loved in Christ unconditionally, what results is a community that is unlike anything else in the world, it is diverse. Because that gospel draws people in from every different background. And that's exactly what we're going to see here in the story of the planting of the church in Philippi. Uh, you had the apostolic team, Paul and his uh, co-workers, who go out firmly convinced in the gospel, knowing that the word of God is true, dedicated to praying and seeing God work, and loving in an uncommon, you could almost say unnatural way. And out of that conviction... And those unifying truths, the church, church was born. Now, let me give you some context here in terms of Acts 16. Uh, last week, we had the Council of Jerusalem. Significant event in the life of the early church because it was the council that confirmed that the gospel is a message of grace. 
You don't have to become a Jew if you're a Gentile in order to join the people of God. We're saved by grace, we take hold of it through faith. And so the church is going to be this rich mix of people from all backgrounds. Now that word had to be communicated out to the churches and Paul went back to Antioch to communicate along with Barnabas. And we read in verse 36 that sometime later, after he'd gone to Antioch, Paul said to Barnabas, well, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And so they want to go back and retrace the steps of Paul's first missionary journey that I spoke on two weeks ago. Now, there is a bust-up between Paul and Barnabas, I won't go into it, and so Barnabas goes to Cyprus and Paul heads up inland across modern Turkey to visit the churches that he'd started there and then eventually he starts a new work and he goes across the sea and goes into Greece and the first place he stops at uh, through, if I can say, the imploring work of the Holy Spirit is to go to Philippi. And there you see this incredible work of the gospel take place. And what happens is that there are three different stories of people that Paul ministers to. And he ministers to them in three very different ways. And those three people are very different to each other, yet by the end of the story, they are all together in this unified, worshipping community. In a way that nothing else could have created apart from the gospel. And so if you've got your Bibles there, Acts chapter 16, let's have a look. And the first person you encounter is, for want of a better description, an upper-class businesswoman who was spiritually seeking. Let's have a look at verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. There's probably no synagogue and Paul's normal practice was he would go to the synagogue to speak the gospel to the Jews who had gathered there. Instead, he goes to the place where they gather for prayer amongst Jewish believers. And we read in verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a de dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited her... She invited the members of her household, uh, she invited us, sorry, to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. It is an amazing story. Let's ask the question, who was this Lydia? Well, there's a number of things we could say. She was a successful businesswoman, uh, is probably the first thing you could note. Uh, she's a dealer in purple cloth, which was, if I can say, the cloth, uh, the linen for the wealthy and for those of royal blood. And she's got a business that deals in that. She looks after those who are wealthy. She was wealthy. The church ends up meeting in her house. It was a significant place uh, because it was a place where the church itself could gather together. And it was born out of her hospitality at that level. In today's terms, I thought you'd probably equate her with these people. Uh, Maxine Horn, CEO of the Vita Group. She is the lady who put mobile phones into shopping centres in 1995. Uh, or Leslie Gillespie, she's the co-founder of Baker's Delight, or Jane Alice, she started Boost Juice from her home in 2000. Successful businesswoman, Lydia is someone like that. She's up on the top of the pecking order, she's rich, she's wealthy, but she's also someone who is spiritually seeking. She's there, not as a Jewish problem, but joining the Jewish because she was open, she was wanting to know more, and Paul meets her at the place of prayer. 
which indicates that she'd attached herself to the Jewish community in Philippi. And so she's a God-fearer who worshipped God. That's the description that Paul gives us. And what Paul did was come to the place where he understood that Jewish people met to pray. And he speaks the gospel. And you've just got this beautiful, simple uh, description from uh, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And so she hears the gospel and she responds. God works in her heart, opens her eyes and she believes and receives Christ. And the transformation was immediate. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to a home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So not just a woman of ability, but a persuasive woman. She won't have them say no to her. Come, stay. And so began the house church in Philippi. Now it's interesting to note how she became a Christian here. And what's interesting in the book of Acts is we've probably got more stories of people's conversions than anywhere else in the Bible. And that's why it's such an encouraging book to read because you, you read all these stories of people who get converted and become Christians. This is one of them. And the way she got converted was the gospel message was explained to her, she believed it and she responded. You could say it's a classic way that in our modern evangelistic methods, mission takes place. People hear the gospel, it could be through a service on a Sunday, it could be through someone sharing one-to-one, it could be through an Alpha course, Christianity Explained, you name it. But they hear the gospel and then the person is moved by God, their heart is opened and they believe and they respond. Well, that's Lydia. She's the first convert in Philippi. The second person couldn't have been further away in all means. Verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And so Paul went regularly to meet with those who were most likely of Jewish origin and on his journeys, he obviously was staying at one place, he would go on a certain route and he would pass this slave girl. And she's almost the exact opposite of Lydia. She's poor, not rich. She could have been from anywhere ethnically and she was exploited, she was not in control. She was demon-possessed, she was not morally or spiritually upright in the way that you would have expected Lydia to have been. But interestingly, she knew the most. We read this in verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And the picture you get is she's not doing this to help Paul's ministry, but rather to hinder Paul's ministry. She's probably mocking him and harassing him. And Luke records, she kept this up for many days. And I couldn't help but think if Lydia was one of Uh, In today's terms, those CEOs that I just showed to you, well, this girl is more like the drug-addicted prostitute that you might find in the inner city of King's Cross, that a Lydia would never even come close to, and if she did, she would not have the time of day, she'd walk straight past. They're from the opposite ends of the social spectrum. Psychologically, she was bound by demons and spiritually oppressed. Socially, she was bound by her masters. She was a slave woman. 
And so there was a social injustice and a social oppression. And when I think about her and Lydia, the social standing, the education, the financial freedom, the spiritual orientation, there is no greater chasm between two people. And what happens, we read in verse 18, finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And Paul obviously realised that this opposition to him and to the gospel, because it was not something that was helping him, it was hindering him, it was annoying him, uh, it was not human origin, it was spiritually inspired and it was from the devil. And so he exercised the evil spirit and the spirit was cast out and the girl was freed. And I did want to note this, people can be possessed by evil spirits even today. It's not just something that occurred in the first century. And I mention that because I would always warn people about dabbling in things that are of the occult. It is very real, it is very dangerous and I've encountered this uh, in terms of reading it through the scriptures but also personally in my ministry. On a number of occasions have been called in uh, to do ministry where evil spirits have been involved. They are real, they are evil and they bind people and situations. And so here we have this slave woman and what's interesting to note is how God works in her life. Now, we're not told the end of the story, but I think it's a safe assumption to understand that she would have joined the believing community here. It's why she's mentioned. And she would have been welcomed in to the fellowship. And my assumption is she probably did come to faith. But there's no gospel preaching at this point, rather a ministry of prayer for the person to be released from the hold of the devil. And I was thinking about the people and the way people get converted here and we have numbers of people very commonly who get converted the way that Lydia got converted. They hear the gospel and they come to faith. But I was also thinking of a lady who at the beginning of my time told me of her journey that she was an atheist uh, from a different national background and she came really just seeking prayer because of issues in her life that she was trying to be freed of and she met Jesus when someone prayed for her. And it wasn't the sense of, you know, someone sat down and spoke the gospel. It was just this uh, situation she was in and prayer was offered. And through that, her life was opened up. She then heard the gospel and responded and became an incredible believer uh, before leaving here a number of years ago. And people do come to faith through different circumstances. Uh, Eventually, ultimately, the gospel is preached But the woman, Lydia, it's a rational encounter. Here, it's a spiritual encounter. I've seen both things take place here. But then you get the third story, and it's the longest story that's recorded here in the book of Acts, in the story of Philippi. It's the story of the prison guard. After the commotion caused by the owners of the slave girl, and Paul casting that demon out, Well, it creates a problem because, you see, the slave girl can no longer do what the slave master wants him, uh, her to do, which is to predict the future. And so, obviously, there was economic gain for this slave master to have for this girl. And so, he's lost that capacity and ability to make money out of her and he's not happy. Verse 19, when the owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, 
These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And so there's no truth in what they're saying. They're just totally annoyed with Paul and want to get them in trouble now. Well, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul and Silas are treated terribly. They're given a severe beating. We know later that they had wounds that needed to be bandaged and looked after. They've probably got open wounds that are bleeding. And they're placed into stocks in the inner part of the jail. And I take it it's because there was a fear that they had some sort of supernatural powers following the exorcism. And a guard is placed to guard them personally. Now what happens next is remarkable and it sets the scene for the third conversion, which is the jailer. Verse 25, about midnight, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And you see, his job was to guard them and the Roman law of the time, if he failed, he would be killed probably uh, (laughs) in a gruesome way and so he thinks I'm going to take the easy route and do it less painfully but Paul shouted don't harm yourself we're all here now I want you to stop and think about what took place they could have run there is another story of apostles in jail which is Peter Acts 12 and God coming through an angel and enabling him to escape and Peter escapes that time and so there is precedent Paul could have escaped but he doesn't Instead, he does the exact opposite. He takes charge and stops everyone else from escaping. It's quite profound. And the jailer is about to commit suicide knowing that if the prisoners had escaped, he'd be put to death and Paul intervenes to stop. And very shortly after, the jailer is converted. The jailer called for lights rushing in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And you've got to ask the question, what, why? Why is the jailer converted? Why does he go being from disinterested to wanting to know how to be saved? And when you think about the jailer, it's highly likely he was a former Roman soldier. From a spiritual point of view, he's probably most likely apathetic. He would have just gone through the routine in terms of offering sacrifices to the Roman gods. He's not someone who is seeking to know God at this point in time. He's fine. And it's interesting, in the first two stories, Paul brings the gospel to Lydia and to the slave lady. But not this time, this man comes to Paul. 
But Paul didn't tell him the gospel first. Why does he come? Because he saw the gospel. And that's what Paul did in the most profound way. He showed him the gospel. Paul had been tortured. And the jailer was callous and indifferent to Paul's suffering. And we know that because after he's converted, he tends to his wounds. Not before. And so he's tending them personally as guard. And he would have seen the weeping wounds. And there is no sense of compassion. The key to the conversion, I think, is in verse 25. About midnight, as we read, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Though their life was ebbing away, they had suffering, they had something that suffering could not take away. And you imagine the jailer sitting there watching these two men not complain but praise God in the midst of their suffering. Who knows what they were praying? They might have been praying that they got a fair hearing and that they'd be eventually released. But the jailer is so taken by that. And then, when they could have escaped, but they didn't. And they stayed, and not just stayed, but made the others stay to save the jailer's life. Literally. I was thinking about this story. I think it's one of the most profound examples of Jesus teaching that we must love our enemies that I think you will ever see lived out in the pages of the New Testament because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing. He was loving his enemy who was probably sitting there gloating, watching him suffer and he saves his life. And the response of the jailer is, tell me what I must do to be saved because he knows that Paul has something that he does not and he is wonderfully saved. It's quite a profound story. And it's interesting to note how it happens. Paul doesn't preach the gospel to him, but rather he lives the gospel before him, which causes this man to ask, what is it that you've got? And you can't help but think of the words from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, live in such a way that they ask you about the hope that you have. That's exactly what's taking place here. And when you put these three stories together, you see the rational approach of Lydia who hears the gospel when it's preached to her and she responds. You see the woman who is prayed for and God works in her life and you see the witness of the lifestyle and the love for enemies that has never been seen before, that provokes the conversation, tell me what you believe, how do I get right with your God? And I love how the story finishes. Verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And I want you to think about that gathering and who is there. You've got Lydia, the wealthy, the upper class. You've got the slave girl, the lower class, the downtrodden, the oppressed. And you've got the Roman jailer, the indifferent, 
And all of them together in this incredible, diverse community, worshipping Christ. And you see, that's the power of the gospel. And when there's a unity in it, which is what takes place with Paul and his wonderful band of co-workers, their belief that Christ died for the ungodly and that he rose again physically. And when there's an acceptance that the Word of God is the very words of God and when you believe that God is real and you know him and you pray to him and he works in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when as a response you love people the way you have been loved unconditionally by God himself through Christ. And there is this uncommon love. Well, there's a power there that creates the beauty of diversity. And you want to know what a healthy church is? It's one where you see people from all backgrounds, all races, all stages in life, all states in life, coming together and finding unity in Christ. And friends, that's who we are to be. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for the wonder of the gospel and the incredible way it crosses boundaries, it breaks down barriers, it sends us out to preach, to pray, to love, to care and it creates this incredible diverse community of people who find their unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you that we can be here today. We thank you for the diversity in this room. And Father, we pray that we would be a church on fire that is healthy, that is alive in the gospel, drawing people in from all backgrounds. May you do a great work in us and continue to do it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, it's been great to be together as God's people this morning. It's nice to see the building almost filled. Uh, I think we'll be able to put out more seats next week with the two-metre square rule coming into place. Um, it was Steve Ireland, uh, whose name I couldn't read before. Steve, really great to have you there. We haven't met in person yet, but I've enjoyed our interactions over email. Uh, it was also great to hear on the chat line, uh, Deborah uh, Benstead. It's the last day of a holiday break that she's had for a couple of weeks. We're looking forward to having her back in the building. And Max and Rose, Virginia Flanagan, uh, Ruth Ross. And it's really nice to know that Klaus is back from Germany. It's good to have you back in the country and up there at uh, Queenscliff. We look forward to seeing you as well. Uh, just a reminder of a few things as we close. We do need to exit the building as uh, uh, quickly as we are able. Uh, certainly you're free to come out to the courtyard. And Nev, will you be out in the courtyard? If anyone would like to chat with Nev, please go and see him out there. If you want to go and grab a coffee, uh, please do that and come back. If you would prefer to he head to a, a coffee shop yourself with some others, that's fine as well. Looking forward to gathering again next week and hearing the next exciting stage in the, the unfolding story of the spread of the message of Jesus and the change that it brought everywhere, even in a place like Athens, even there where there were great philosophers. We hear the Paul preach one of the great ser greatest sermons ever, I think, uh, to a pagan group. As we close, I might get you to stand and I'll leave you with these words of encouragement from Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.